Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's the twenty-second of December, twenty-twenty-two. Yes, it's getting close, people. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen um, on the Faith Radio Network. And um, Christmas is very fast approaching. And so I want to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas today. Um, Wherever you are, whatever the status of things is um, in your part of the world and in your life, let me declare unto you this day, there is good news. And his name is Jesus. There is a Prince of Peace, and he has come. There is a wonderful Counselor, and there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. So take a deep breath, um, and let's let's enter in again to the Christmas story as it unfolds in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Luke Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We're in the we're in the middle of the story here. Um, the angel has appeared to these shepherds and announced to them the good news of great joy for all people that unto you this day is born in the city of David, a savior, the Christ. He is the Messiah. Here's a sign. You're going to find him wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. Uh, and then we pick up today's verse. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And the heavenly host was praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So these are some ordinary guys. We've talked a little bit about the shepherds. Um, These are some ordinary guys doing a very ordinary job on an otherwise very ordinary night outside of a pretty ordinary town in what history would call a very ordinary time. And then, so when we talk about the one angel who appears and announces the like extraordinary universe-altering reality, this hinge of history, of which the shepherds were completely unaware, right? we're not surprised that the Scripture describes them as sore afraid, like they were terrified by the appearance of the one angel And then that angel says, hey, hey, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that's going to be for all people. And here it is. Jesus Christ is born. And while they're still trying to take that in, Luke says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And this great company of the heavenly host started singing praises to God. Have you ever wondered what that looked like and what that sounded like? Um, I mean, we think of, you know, oh, a handful of angels. You know, the kind you could manage on the mantle above the the little manger scene that you set out as a nativity. You know, 
You got you got one angel, you know, Hark the Herald, you know, Herald the Angel up there. Um but do you do you put a whole heavenly host up there? And how many is that? How many is a heavenly host? And what does it mean that not just a heavenly host, but a great company of heavenly hosts appeared? Like what are we talking about? Well, the Greek word is for host is stratia, a whole strata. It refers to heavenly bodies. Luke is comparing the number of angels that appeared in the sky over Bethlehem on the night of the birth of Jesus to the number of stars in the sky. Think about that. Wow, right? Angels must have illuminated the expanse of the sky from horizon to horizon, literally for as as far as the shepherds could see. And if the appearance of one angel left them terrified, what in the world was the response to an entire sky full of them? And then they started singing. What did that sound like? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Angels we have heard on high. They're not sweetly singing over the plain. They are shouting glory to God and they are declaring peace on earth. Peace on earth among those upon whom the favor of God rests in Jesus. That is an extraordinary proclamation. Glory in excelsis Deo. Glory indeed. Wonder of wonders. Signs inimaginable. I mean, how is it possible that only the shepherds saw that? <laughs> right? All right. So if, um, if you haven't received the good news of great joy for all people that Christ has come, um, let me encourage you to consider that today. Um, and let yourself be surprised anew and afresh again today, like the shepherds were, that God has done this extraordinary thing, that he has wrapped himself up in human flesh and been born of a woman and given to us. The peace that's proclaimed by the angels is one of my favorite things about Christmas, the proclamation of peace. Yes, I love the hope and the joy and the expectation of a second advent um, and the love of God come down in Christ. But when I think about Christmas and what it means to me in terms of God's gift to me personally and God's gift to us collectively, the overwhelming word for me is peace. Peace. You have a word that captures Christmas for you? I'm going to ask Ben Johnson what, uh, what, what word captures Christmas for him. Up next, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. This is my right. Ben Johnson is back. Uh, he works for the Washington Stand. You can find what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. All right, take me back in time. Um, 
Did Ben run down the steps on Christmas morning? Was there a Christmas tree? Um, take me back to Christmas of old, some of your favorite memories. Oh, my goodness. Well, at this age, it's harder to access those memories than it used to be. But uh, honestly, one of my very favorite uh, memories was third grade. I came out and uh, we had, uh, I, I will be honest, I did not come from palatial splendor uh, in my family background. This particular year, we had uh, just uh, an immaculate decoration out and the tree was beautiful. Uh, the presents were sparkling. There were a lot more of them than I ever would have anticipated. And we, um, we had a family Christmas that morning. We went out and sled because we, had, uh, we were able to sled because of the snow. It was a white Christmas, so it was just a beautiful time all the way around. Uh, that was probably the most joyful memory uh, in, in terms of a Christmas morning. Probably the best memory that uh, I can remember other than that was that uh, one Christmas Eve we went to church, which uh, I was loath to do as a child. But afterwards, after um, our Christmas Eve service, uh, it was an evening service, we went Christmas caroling at the local nursing home. And that mm -hmm. has always stayed with me, the, the power and the impact that the, those ancient songs had on the uh, people that we brought joy to that Christmas morning. All right, I have two. One is when I was a child and one was when I was a young adult. So, um, I mean, I've, I have I actually now my mind is flooded with memories. But um, when you talked about third grade, I think I was probably in third grade the year that um, stands out to, to me in my mind. And it was the year that we got, uh, and this will mean nothing to you, but I'll explain it, the last Luddy for Christmas. Um, we had dogs when I was growing up that are, were all named the same thing. And then, and then you just change the number at the end of their name. So there was, you know, the first Luddy and then the second Luddy. And anyway, eventually there was Ludwig von Schmittenhofer, the fourth Fowler. And so the fourth Luddy was the last Luddy, and he, he we got him at Christmas after my dad had declared there would never be another dog in our home because he was so heartbroken at the death of the third Luddy. So um, there, there was, in fact, a fourth Luddy, and I remember the Christmas that we got him. So that really stands out in my mind. Um, and then uh, my dad died when I was in high school. Mm. And as a, uh, I, I think it was the very next Christmas, it might have been a couple of Christmases later, they kind of run together at that point. Um, but I remember my mom and my sister and I um, going to what we called like distracted worship. So we, we, we went, we were like on a tour of different churches on Christmas Eve because we didn't really want to go back to the one where there was going to be a notable empty seat next to us <clears throat> that my dad had left vacant. And so um, at one of those, I just remember there being this like it should have been an outdoor Christmas nativity scene. It had those like light there were like a light inside of a um, of a plastic crash. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've seen them like on yeah, a oh, churchyard. Sure. Okay, well these yeah, were beautiful. inside. Yeah, but these were inside up on the you know the equivalent of the altar, and um, as the choir sang, the light bulb inside of Jesus would would like pulse and. I will just tell you that as a young adult, my sister and I got very, very tickled about that, and our entire pew was shaking. We were, I mean, we were laughing very quietly. You know how you can quiet laugh, but your body can't contain it? And so my mom being somewhat mortified with us, but there you go. Those are like two really strong Christmas memories, the the sort of glowing, illuminating, light-up Jesus who really belonged outside. Um, yeah, but and, he uh, truly was the light of the world then. Yeah, it truly was. I mean, there you go. Um, I also like 
um, candlelight Christmas services where at the very end, you know, the lights in the sanctuary are dimmed and people are holding up a, a lit candle and singing Silent Night. Like those are really strong memories for me as well. It's interesting that it's yeah. um, it's 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 about it's very worship centered for me. Yes. Uh, you know, I had a similar situation myself as a young man, because I, I think it was probably first or second grade, maybe. But uh, we went to uh, midnight service and it was a candlelit service this particular year. And uh, it's it's a little bit uh, embarrassing for me, but I think I was probably six or seven before I realized that Christmas had anything to do with Jesus. Because of the way that it's presented culturally, I knew it had to do with Santa and presents and things like that. But uh, I didn't understand why we were going to Christmas uh, service when it was, I think it was the middle of the week or something. And I didn't know why we would go to church. And my my parents had to explain the word Christmas literally means the mass of Christ to celebrate his birth into the world. So uh, that's that. And, and incidentally, you took my word. Peace is usually the word that I associate with Christmas. But if I had to choose another one, it would be Emmanuel, uh, God with us, because that is the overall importance that God took human flesh and he took everything that uh, belongs to the human race except sin. And by adoption, we become the sons and daughters of God most high. Mm, I love that. I love that. Emmanuel, peace, love, joy. What's your, what's a word that maybe captures Christmas for you? Maybe it's light. Um, maybe it's expectation. Could be fear or longing, fulfillment, dismay celebration. What's your Christmas word? Ben and I are going to return in just a moment. We're going to have a conversation about words um, and some that are regarded as unacceptable in the culture today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com and then be assured of our prayers for you in the spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. So um, we're going to talk about words. We're going to talk about the power of words and the importance of choosing our words carefully today. Ben Johnson is here. He is the rights writer. He has thought a lot about words and the power of words um, in our um, in our relationships and uh, and in this period of time in which we live. Um, ben, you and I have both read at least part of the Stanford Guide to Acceptable Words. Um, it was the school's effort, or it is the school's effort, to eliminate uh, harmful language. Here's the challenge. Even when they call it the elimination of harmful language, they are using a word um, in their title that they regard as an unacceptable word um, because you are no longer allowed to talk about eliminating um, because apparently that is a trigger word for some people. Oh, you can't say trigger word because that's a violent term. 
Um, and so I want to be, I want to be sensitive. I, I mean, I'm so tempted to, to turn this into a radio shtick and use every word that's on the list. Um, because right, that's my sinful nature, but help me understand, um, where we are in a cult, where we are in the culture today in terms of the use of words. I want to be wise and prudent and respectful in my use of words. Um, help, help me understand what's happening here. Well, you're right. I mean, it is tempting to laugh this away and say that uh, this is just a ridiculous emphasis on things that are really meaningless or that it embodies an extreme point of view that most people would instantly laugh off. Uh, so, for example, the Stanford University uh, list, the, the sort of naughty words list now says that you can't say the word American because that implies that the United States of America is more important than other parts of North and South America it should be replaced with U.S. citizen. Uh, blind study or tone deaf are said to be ableist because they, they condescend to those who lack sight and hearing. Uh, the term beat a dead horse is allegedly normalizing cruelty to animals. And uh, calling using terms like guru or tribe are said to be culturally insensitive. Using the term gangbusters, and this is a quote, invokes the notion of police action against gangs in a positive light. So apparently that's out. Uh, so... Those are the sorts of explanations and rationales that are being put forth uh, in this revision. Uh, I, did, I did think they had one good point, which is that they didn't want to use terms like addict or convict because they said that that reduces someone to one aspect of their character. Uh, and I'll always remember seeing uh, Smokey Robinson, the great Motown singer and songwriter, one of the uh, most brilliant songwriters of his day, when they asked him if he was an addict because he had been addicted, he said, no, I was an addict. He said, I'm not going to say I'm a continuing addict, although there are those who classify themselves that way, even though they're in recovery. He said, I don't look at myself in that particular way. I look at that as something that I did for a few years. And by the grace of God, I've been delivered from. So I, I think they make it actually a good point there. Certainly convicts and addicts and others who have been in that situation uh, have been able through the power of God and by trusting in a higher power, uh, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they've been delivered from those kinds of things. As the Apostle Paul says to all of us, such were some of you, but now you're washed, now you're cleansed, now you're sanctified and indwelled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's a good point, and credit where it's due for, for their having said that. Um, the overall problem here is that this ideology, uh, it embeds a certain ideology, so uh, they don't eliminate phrases like fertilized egg, which is unscientific and would be better described as a newly conceived human being. It's an attempt to ideologize the language in a certain direction. And uh, for those of us who want to speak truth, it's an attempt to deprive us of the very words and vocabulary to do so. So I think we have to be very careful. Uh, our language should be salted with salt. It should be correct. It should never be intentionally offensive, as you as you said and alluded to. It's in our sinful nature to want to uh, to defy all norms, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, uh, and to be deliberately uh, rebellious. But we shouldn't we shouldn't indulge those words simply for that reason. Uh, we should rebel against the idea of limiting the human language uh, in in a way that would deprive us of the ability to speak the truth that God has implanted with us. So here's just one of the challenges, and I'll just surface this, and then um, maybe we could take this topic up again in the new year, because the list is very, very long. It's 13 pages long. Um, it's very small type. Uh, and there are words in here that are so common, 
I mean, the word chief, uh, you know, uh, chief among sinners. I mean, we can't say that anymore because you can't wor- you can't use the term chief um, because it is an, a trivialization of um, a position of authority of a particular individual in uh, in a native context. Or you can't use the word brave. And I'm thinking to myself, um, I don't I don't know that you can sanitize, you can't use the word tribe. Um, you can't talk about tribal language. We talk about tribes in America all the time. Um, and you can't, and you can't even, ta- you can't even refer to preferred pronouns because the word preferred suggests that uh, someone has made a choice or that it's a preference. And so I just, um, I mean, there's some things on, on this list that I understand and there's other things like the term freshman that, or gentleman that I, I don't understand. We can't say ladies and gentlemen anymore. Um, we can't call uh, a person who owns a piece of property and rents to others a landlord. I just, I, we can't describe something as man-made. We certainly can't talk about mankind. Um, and so there, I want us to be precise. I want us to be gracious. I want us to be prudent and respectful. But I also want us to recognize that it's possible we have reached a point of time in our culture um, where other people are trying to control what we say so thoroughly that they are trying to rob us of the right to speak at all. And that, that it frustrates me. And rightly so. That is precisely the, uh, the focus of this idea is to control the language just as in 1984, uh, which was not intended to be a handbook. You know, 1984 controlled the language in such a way that if you had a, an idea that opposed the official Iranian ideology, you were literally incapable of expressing it with the words that were culturally acceptable. That's uh, essentially where this is heading. And for those of us uh, who are dedicated to communication, we can say that without any question or hope of contradiction, the word of God will not be able to be expressed in those terms. Mm. Okay, you and I are going to have to continue this conversation in the new year. Um, thank you so much. What a blessing. Um Merry Christmas to you and yours. May it be filled with wonder and joy and peace. God bless you. Christ is born. Glorify him. Amen. Amen and amen. That's our friend Ben Johnson. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. And yes, I will put the links in the show notes to the things we talked about today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. So many um, lifting up prayers for members of their family this year. And so we're praying with Tracy for her uncle, John, that um, he's battling an addiction to alcohol. And she's asking that we would pray that he come to Christ. Praying with Teresa and her family for Teresa's son who is incarcerated, that God would bring someone alongside him uh, in, in prison that would introduce him to Jesus so that he could receive true freedom and walk in the fullness of life that Jesus promises to give us. Um, I have uh, I have about 30 pages of very small type prayer requests. Um, many of them, like Richard, praying for members of my family to walk in faith, um, that they would surrender to the Lord. Um, so many uh, praying for sons and daughters 
mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles and cousins. Um, Susan lifting up a prayer here for her great niece that she would come to know Jesus. Um, it occurs to me that many of us are going to be gathering at, at, at tables or in environments where there's at least one empty chair and maybe many for many reasons. Some of those um, because folks have died um, and in some cases because they have left the communion of the fellowship in our homes or with us and many because they have walked away from the Lord um, and they now are subject to life-controlling issues that render it impossible for them right now to, to be with us. And those are heartbreaking realities, and they're hard to deal with. And so I thought that today it would be helpful to, for us to talk with Melissa Mork. She is um, not only a, a, a professor of psychology, she's also a person with a lived experience of grief, um, and so Melissa's going to join us next, and we're going we're gonna to talk about how do we handle the emotions um, that come in a season when we want to have every chair filled around the table and we want to be gathered with people that we love, but many of us will be prevented from doing so for myriad reasons. And we're going to talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is. After all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama. Over 40 voice actors and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to myfaithradio.com. Dr. Melissa Mork is back with us today. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Northwestern St. Paul and a, a wonderful colleague and friend in ministry. Melissa, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be here. Thank you. So talk with us um, just about the challenge that so many people face. Um, I mean, we face it every day, right? If we have a person that we love that is not just living outside of um, of faith in Christ, but in many cases, walking in ways that um, we know are just so destructive to them as people. So can you just talk with us about sort of how do I deal with those emotions um, and how do I, how do I gin up the energy for the holidays? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, I really, first of all, wanted to say thank you for addressing such a difficult question. It's a, I can't, I cannot imagine or have I experienced as frustrating a kind of grief as this kind of grief? Because it's easy to accept. I don't know. It's not easy, but we are forced to accept the death of a loved one. There is just nothing else we can do. But when it is somebody who is making choices that we can see are so destructive or when they're, you know, it seems like we have all of the right answers and they are, uh, they are willingly, obtuse in hearing them that is it's very hard to accept and so i'm grateful that you're asking that question but then what do we how do we manage those emotions and how do we tolerate them that is 
Well, that's, <laughs> that's a tough one. And, and I guess my first answer, best answer is we can only control that which we have in our hands and we have to let go of everything else. And in order to let go of everything else, we do have to work towards a place of acceptance of this is, this is life as it is right now and hold it loosely, but, um, but not try to control it beyond our ability. All right. Talk, talk practically about like, are there steps I can take to help me do that? So, Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I have a stranglehold on, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's strangling my prayer life, yes. it's strangling out my other relationships. I'm going to use that language because I have been with people who yes. their issue with their wayward child or their um, unsaved parent or whatever, it strangles out everything else. And yes. so can, can that when you talk about holding loosely and you talk about um, controlling the things I can control and releasing everything else or letting everything else go. I, I had this image of like these, this stranglehold that some people have on, on this yes. other person's issues. And yes. um, can you talk practically about like, h- how do you even start peeling back the fingers that are, you know, they're, they're white knuckled. They've been gripping <clears throat> to that person's issue for so long. It's such powerful imagery, and I think it's fairly accurate as well. I, As a psychologist, I look at things through a biological, psychological, social, and spiritual perspective. So let's kind of unpack that. First of all, we have to do things that are going to help us self-soothe our, our, our bodies, like take deep breaths when we are starting to, because when you use that language of stranglehold, it feels choking, and it feels like I'm holding my breath, and I'm not able to release. And so biologically, physically, we need to breathe. We need to to hold, put our shoulders back and chin up and just biologically self-soothe so then we can deal with it from a psychological, social, and spiritual perspective. The psychological perspective is with that deep breathing, we need to start managing these emotions that feel so intense and heavy through talking about it and of course praying about it and from a psychological perspective every time that thought comes into my head Paul, the apostle paul says we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to jesus christ and so every time that that stranglehold thought comes into my head of i can't control this i have to control this take that captive and replace it with I'm giving this to you, Lord, or replace it with another statement of, I can't control this, but whatever statement is true and right and lovely and more accurate than I have to control this. So we replace those thoughts that are disabling us or that are causing that stranglehold. And then from a a social perspective, so bio, psycho, social, spiritual, from a social perspective, we reach out to people who've been through similar experiences. We talk about it with people who understand. We reach out for social support, those who are able to listen well and give good counsel. So we need to reach out to our social support to help us release this. And then from a spiritual perspective, understanding that we are not that person's savior. In fact, we might need to put ourselves aside for a while uh, and out of the way so that the right people can come into that person's life. And so we we need to spiritually hand it over to the Lord and not 
take that on as our own spiritual burden. So from mm. a biopsychosocial and spiritual perspective, there are some, those are the first places to begin, I think. Um, I'm, uh, I'm visualizing when you say, you know, like take deep breaths, <clears throat> I'm actually like vis- visualizing as a part of that, you know, putting your shoulders back, putting your chin up. I'm, I, my posture would, my eyes would probably be closed and I would mm-hmm. intentionally be opening my hands because yes. it's interesting when, um, like stranglehold, when you described it, you know, the, the, there was this like choking image, right? Mine was mm-hmm. that my my hands were gripped so tightly to themselves that mm-hmm. like I didn't uh, yeah so for me um, it was about not being able to do anything else with my hands or receive anything with my hands because they're so clenched tightly um, yes. on this one issue or concern or topic or person um, and yes. so for me the shoulder back chin up um, eyes closed breathing posture also includes intentionally i mean all the way opened like to the full extent of being opened my hands um yes so i think that for different people um some of this is i mean you know as you would say some of it's modified i really uh the part about you know i am not their savior i am not the savior this is really not i mean this is a control issue for me like part yes. of that is is part of uh, part of this conversation as well. Um, I remember having a friend, um, dear dear friend, um, who was really struggling that her husband was not a believer. And I think that when they met, you know, her sort of casual, um, the the casual approach she was taking to her faith at the time probably matched up with the cultural Christianity that he had grown up with, and so. At the time, it didn't seem like a big deal. And then, you know, along the way, they got married and they had children. And um, and then, you know, as you get a little bit older, the the reality of the importance of the truth of the faith and the practices of it, like it became weary, wearisome to her. And um, and at one point, like God, I mean, she she says it this way, so I will repeat it this way. Like the Lord really spoke to her heart and said, you are not your husband's Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, like, right. And yeah. so it gave her this language where any time that she was trying to step in to the place of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the place that belongs to the spirit um, and, you know, and can be a be a voice of conviction or counsel or whatever, she would like literally take a step back mm-hmm. to make room for the Holy Spirit. Um, and so for her, that was this like physical thing that she did, this t- literally taking a physical step back to allow room for the Holy Spirit, just, you know, that she would acknowledge this is the Spirit's role and not mine. I am not my husband's Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. And, you know, and thanks be to God in that particular um, family, God has done and continues to do that, that miraculous work. Um, mm-hmm. Melissa, you used the word grief early on in this conversation, and I want to circle back around to that um, here in just a moment. Um, can we can we talk about the reality of grief and that it's okay mm-hmm. to grieve the loss of dreams and expectations and relationships, even though we're not talking about physical death? Can we can we talk yes. about grief? From, okay, great. So we're talking with Dr. Yes. Melissa Mork. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. We're going to continue this conversation about how we're all processing through those empty chairs this holiday season. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Oh, come, all you unfaithful, come, weak and unstable, come, know you are not alone. You can find Dr. Melissa Mork at melissamork, M-O-R-K dot com. Um, She is a professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. She specializes um, in in the things that challenge us, not just in terms of our mental health, but in terms of resilience and what I'll call grit. Um, She knows a lot about grief. She has walked into and through the valley of the shadow of death herself. Um, Melissa, again, thank you so much for your willingness to to just join us for this conversation at this point in the year. Um, Lots of empty chairs this Mm -hmm. holiday, not all of them because people have physically died, but because relationships have died um, or people are living in the midst of life controlling issues that keep them separated from us and our families. Mm-hmm. You used the word grief um, early in this conversation. Can you, can you give us permission to grieve um, losses and empty chairs that are not the result of death? Yeah. Boy, I am so glad you said that because I think not only is it okay, it's mandatory that we grieve. Um, and what grief entails, and we're all familiar with Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And I, as an aside, I just want to say that it's she wrote an excellent book called On Death and Dying about these five stages. That's where they came from. And she wrote them in reference to people who are facing their own mortality through terminal illness and their stages of grief as they were dying. Uh, And those stages are relevant to all kinds of grief, not necessarily um, the, the script that I would use in all of the kinds of grief, but we do need to reach a point of acceptance that this is the way it is right now, that this chair is indeed empty and we need to grieve this, not the person might not have died, but it is a death of expectations. It is a death of relationship. It is, it is all of these things that feel like a death. And so the grief is real and the grief is appropriate and the grief needs to be worked through. All right. So we're going to start with acceptance. This is the way it is right now. First of all, I appreciate that language. It doesn't say this is the way it's going to be forever and ever, um, but this is Mm -hmm. the way it is right now. Um, What else? So we need, we need acceptance. And then how do we get there? Again, it comes back to how are we talking about it to ourselves? What is the story we're telling ourselves? When I used that, that passage before about, you know, we're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, we really need to address how are we thinking about this and use it? What language are we using? And acceptance comes with us getting to a point of being able to say, I'm going to be okay with this right now. I 
I choose to accept this. I cannot control this. But just to use the language that allows us to release that stranglehold that you mentioned before. And I think that stranglehold is our way of angrily not accepting the reality of what is right now. And so that grief requires us to say, the, tell us ourselves the truth in a way of reaching that point of acceptance of the reality that we have right now. Yeah. And when, when we're, again, I'll just highlight these things again that you've already said, um, because I think repetition sometimes helps us when we're listening, like there's folks listening right now and they're listening with deep emotion and they have a very particular person and situation in mind as they're thinking through this. And so let me just um, rehearse a couple of these things, like pause, take a deep breath, create enough space that you can think about what you're thinking about. And you can think about how you're thinking about what you're thinking about. That's what Melissa yeah. when she says, right? When Melissa says, you know, like allow Christ to take that thought captive. Like I actually visualize that when I know I am having a thought about someone or about a situation that is not a godly thought. It's not God's thought. It's not the way God thinks about this person or this situation. Then right. like I'm. I'm saying, okay, Jesus, you are Lord of every part of my life. So get in there right now and like lay hold of that thought. I I can't I can't get rid of it myself. But Jesus, you know, you can do all things. So like get in there, Lord, and seize that thought. Take it captive and I don't know, go put it wherever you put things. I don't know where he puts things as far as the east is from the west. Like, but go do that with yes. this thought. I want to be yes. thinking the way God is thinking about this person and their situation. And so visually, one of the, um, one of the, I guess pivots is my best word for it. One of the thought pivots that happened in my own life um, in terms of dealing with people, individuals who, um, they're not just believing wrong things. They are therefore living into very dark realities because they are thinking wrong things. And I, the pivot that happened for me is that God allowed me to begin seeing them as like captives, like people who were in, in prisoner of war camps, like they were like hostages. And so if I could see them as prisoners of war, I was no longer angry. I was sorrowful and I was um, determined to help them not only, um, survive in the state where they were, um, but I was compassionate toward them in a way that I had not been compassionate when I just thought, you know what, these are people that are that are determined to live ungodly lives. No, I mean, I think that many, many people are genuinely um, prisoners of, of a spiritual war. Uh, and, and I'm and glad you said that yeah. because I think that what we're talking about today is a lot of, and I'm just going to say it's our adult children that mm-hmm. are captive and they're captive to culture, but they're also captive to mental illness and substance mm-hmm. abuse and chemical dependency and other addictions. And these are indeed, I think we, we rage against these things because they are stealing our, our kids from us. They're stealing our, our, our loved ones from us. But when we are able to approach it with compassion and understand that this is that they are indeed being held captive by something. They're not choosing this. They are being held captive. And I also want to use that word in relation to self. I think that 
over the holidays right now, we need to show ourselves a lot of self-compassion to see ourselves through the lens of Jesus and the love that he has for us and not hold ourselves so responsible for the behaviors of others and for the expectations of so many, and especially the expectations that we hold for ourselves and others. I think we just need to show ourselves so much compassion. So I'm glad that you brought up that word. Thank you. Mm. Well, thank you. Seeing myself and my home and the table that I'm going to set and the opportunity that I'm going to offer for people to break bread together. And like, uh, I'm, I think that when I, when I recognize Melissa, that I'm really a servant in those, in those moments. Um, and that I have this like joyful opportunity to create a, a hospitable place where God can engage with people and he can then put them in the kinds of relationships where they can engage with each other. Like that's a real gift. Um, mm-hmm. And it it helps me not worry that, you know, nobody dusted under the chair because I didn't get to that and nobody else is going to do that. And so I'm just not going to worry about that. Yeah. I mean, I actually know the chair that's it's dusty under that chair. It's not going to happen before tonight when everybody arrives mm-hmm. for, you know, a meal. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just going to let that go. There are yes. things that we just need to let go. Um, yes. And, and, that's, I think and that's what acceptance yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. You're helping yeah. us do that. And I so appreciate that. Will you come back in the new year? And, um, oh, and please. We can, yeah. And we can wade into these topics. First of all, um, listener response to the things that you bring us is is instantaneous. It's deep. There is such a deep appreciation for um, how real you are. And, and you and I know that's because that grows out of real lived experience. Um, so thank you yeah. so much for of being a person who is in Christ and in the word um, and in fellowship with other Christians and, and leading us um, into these conversations that are so important. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank That's you. Dr. Melissa Mork. You can you can find her online at Melissa Mork. Mm-hmm, I don't have it in front of me. Dot what? Come. Melissa Mork dot com. Um, you can yeah. also find her at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is UNWSP dot edu. So again, Melissa Mork dot com. Melissa, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Carmen. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, let's, uh, let's spend a minute praying together. Um, Father, this is the season to be jolly or the season to sing glory. And, um, and yet for lots of us, we confess that we're struggling. We're struggling with the challenges of life and the challenges that threaten to overwhelm us and griefs that are too great for any human heart to bear. And so we come before you. We come before you, Father. Um, and we ask for Jesus. We need the peace that arrives with your presence in our lives. And so help us to receive what you're sending, the the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding. Help us to receive the good gift of your grace today. Um, Come to us, we pray, O Father, by the power of your Spirit. Come to us today. We know we need you. Oh, Oh, how we need you. Every hour we need you. You've promised rest for the weary and victory for the wounded and healing for the scarred and peace for the anxious and acceptance for the brokenhearted and the rejected. Um, And so, Father, for those who are weary with worry this season, grant peace.
Peace, peace, peace. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Amen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.